Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Dom, how are you sir? I'm very well sir, you? <laughs> Firing. <laughs> yes, you've got to be in this current uh, climate. You know, it's um, you've got to know where your ship's heading. I, 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 I think, or, or there seems to be an awful lot of people that want to steer it for you. Can we say? Yeah, they're, they're right. <laughs> Should we start, uh, Don, by just saying a big thank you to Naz Hussein QC, uh, yeah. who's put us in touch. And uh, I think we're going to give a shout out at, at, towards the end for, for Naz's son, Sal, who's a, who's a friend of mine for his um, upcoming charity challenge. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Naz. Dom, you're a fascinating guy. And that's the, that's the reason I started my podcast is I get to sit here and uh, hopefully one day get paid for, for chatting to interesting gentlemen like you. Can we um, start by talking about your current pro- project? Is it Caged Steel? It is, yeah. So um, it's, it's the second biggest mixed martial arts promotion in, uh, in the UK. With it, there's, there are other things that we have kind of started to do, but um, you know, the, the, main, the main crux of it is the, uh, is the shows, the promotion. Why has mixed martial arts got so huge the world over? Because it's exciting. It's not like boxing, you've got two things. You can only use these two, that's it. You know, you, you get um, some Muay Thai, you can use the, the knees and the elbows, and that makes that more interesting. But then with MMA, you, you take each other to the ground and then it's a, another world, you know. And it's it's not just another world like when you talk about jiu-jitsu where the, you know the techniques is just it's like 10 years to get a black belt because it's such a big project but then you throw in that you can get punched in the head while you're down there that's a different world <laughs> i was gonna say it sounds like they've got an awful your opponent's got a lot a lot more weapons in his arsenal to hurt you with <laughs> yes that's right <laughs> should give a quick uh, hello john hegan if you if, if you're watching hello john john was on the podcast another former Marine who got his Gracie black belt in Jiu Jitsu. Nice. As you said, takes 10 years. Yeah, um, so we'll do that. <laughs> well done, John. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, and how many promotions, how, how many fights have you organized? I'm guessing the current climate has really sort of stomped on that for the time being. Yeah, so we, we, I've done 26 shows so far. I had one booked for July the fourth, but as soon as March happened, which which we literally we literally got away with it, just we just got the show, and then it was all locked down, and we should have had a show. So we moved the show from July the fourth to August the twenty second, which was last Saturday. Uh, didn't happen. Uh, we've got one booked for fifth of December, and we've just we've just got to. I, I'm like I describe myself as annoyingly positive. 
And I, I kind of was for the August show, but it, it didn't pan out. So, you know, I'll, I'll just keep positive for the 5th of December. You know, everyone, everyone and their grandma wants to fight now because they've all been cooped up. They've not been, they've not been training, you know, properly as, they, as they'd like to do. They've certainly not been fighting. So I've got a list three miles long of, of people that want to get on the show. So we need, we need to get this on. Yes. I can imagine that some sports probably work quite well with social distancing, like maybe marathon running or, or yeah. even, even football. But MMA, it's, it's, it's not going to happen, is it? It's a bit up close and personal. <laughs> yeah. It would turn into, what, shadow fighting or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll have to get some boxing gloves on, broomsticks or something. You know, it's, I don't know. That, I shouldn't say that in jest because the, the way this the governments around the world are creating, they'll, they'll probably come up with it and then they'll, they'll come up with some crazy, you've got to have a mask on while you're doing it. <laughs> some of the pictures or memes that are cut, it, it beggars belief, doesn't it? You, you, yeah. if you ever feel, you know, d down on yourself, folks, just look at what some of the, how some people are behaving and they, they think that's normal. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the, um, one of the one of the orchestras, like a philharmonic orchestra, um, I can't remember which country. They've got the uh, oh, yeah. they've got the thing. I'm not going to say the word, but they've got the, the the thing on their face, and they've got a little zip in it to play the wow. instrument. And it's uh, gosh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> Have you have you fought yourself, Dom? I've seen. I think I've seen you with a pair of gloves on, haven't I? Yeah, I, I've I've done bits, Chris. Um, my last fight was about three years ago now, so uh, kind of I should I should actually stop it and grow up, but I, I kind of keep saying one more. I'm 49 now, so maybe one after next July when I'm 50, so that I fight when I'm 50, just to just to show people that you can, you know, that's, that's the, it's always, I always look at things as they're bigger than me, you know, like the Inky Johnson stuff. I don't know if you've, if you've seen Inky Johnson, but he talks about it. It's bigger than you. If you go and do something that people say, Oh, you can't, you can't do that. So you go and do it. And then everyone else knows that you can. So. <laughs> well, if Rocky's anything to go by, you, you can keep going until you're 90. <laughs> yeah, Rocky 3004. <laughs> Don't put a standard stair lift in the Philadelphia steps. <laughs> yes. And uh, so, serious question who's the hardest out of you and Stapes Stapleton? Oh, Stapes is a tough man. Stapes is a tough man. Like, He's, he's a good, good MMA fighter. He's a tough guy. And uh, put it this way, if he's got a 50 cal with him, then <laughs> you know, <laughs> those, things, those things tear you apart. So. <laughs> you have got an unfair, if you've got Martin 50 cal Stapleton, that's in the middle of your, that is slightly an unfair advantage, isn't it really? <laughs> It is if you bring the uh, the weapon with you, like. <laughs> yeah, so Stapes, hello if you're watching, brother. Another Marine brother of mine that's been on the podcast. Very wonderful mm. man. Very positive guy, you know. Very great guy. Great guy. Gets gets down to work. Makes stuff work for him. It's um. It's again another reason I started the podcast. 
He's a, he's a great guy. I've got I've got a bit of a, a nice story about uh, Stapes. So we went to interview some fighters up there, and, and I literally went to set off, and it, the snow was horrendous. And I said to my marketing guy, I said, "Look, we're, we're just going to try and get there. At the end of the day, if we get there and we get the interview, it doesn't matter. You know, we'll, we'll worry about it later." We went in the the most horrendous snow, but we were stuck on M62 for hours. But we managed to make it to the gym, did loads of video work, but then got stuck. So we kind of went, oh, do you know what, we'll wait till the kind of motorways open later on. It just got worse and worse. We jumped on the M62. We were sat there for four hours in the car before they turned us around, sent us back. So the first thing we did is rang Stapes, like Stapes, do you know anywhere that, you know, hotels or anything like that? Because they said, if you get stuck, you know, give us a call. So we rang them every, we went to where they was eating. They'd finished training and they was in a, a like kebab shop or something, but they were eating, they were eating clean. So we went in there and between all, between States, I think is his brother, lots of people from the gym. Everyone was kind of making phone calls, you know, and they were phoning different hotels that they knew for us. And, but everyone had done the same thing. So there were no rooms. So we're like, oh, we're sleeping in the car here. So State's brother, actually said, look, you can't do that. Come back to mine. I've got two settees. Um, chucked us two sleeping bags and we kicked on his settee until the next morning and then uh, <clears throat> rather slowly made it back to Doncaster. But it was like finding different routes and that. But absolutely class. The guys there really looked after us. You know, they didn't, they didn't have to go to that. And it's the kind of story we laugh about now. But those guys, you know, thank you so much for what they did for us that night. <laughs> It reminds me of the time we set off on a stag do to go to Krakow, right? Um, got to, I think it was Bristol Airport. And in fact, the snow leaving the southwest as we went down Holden Hill into Exeter, I just gently nudged the brakes on the car and it just kept going at the same speed. That's how, mm-hmm. that's how heavily the snow had already settled. I think by the time we got there and woke up the next morning, the car was just covered in snow. I let all the air out the tires. We crawled to the airport and we're all sat there like, you know, like lads do having a beer in the departure lounge. And our, our, our flight was the last one on the board that hadn't been canceled. And we're like, please, please. And they went, ching, cancel. <laughs> so, so instead of going to Krakow, we went to Leamington Spa. <laughs> nearly the same (laughs) we all stayed at a travel lodge (laughs) there you go (laughs) um you've got an interesting up upbringing dom nas was telling me um like i I think i said to you earlier i don't like the expression army brat it must scar (laughs) service children for life that expression but that's that's I embrace it. I embrace it. I'm an I'm a army brat. It's um, I I loved it. You know, what I mean, I I love my time. My dad was in the Royal Artillery, so we kind of moved a lot. Um, and the term army brats is is something that we, we found amusing. You know, and it's we still kind of refer ourselves to that. You know, the whole family we, we say, oh, we were army brats, and and like I said, I embrace it. I I quite like the term, so it's all good. Mm. Do you think it comes from, you know, it must be hard being a service child 
because you've got to keep moving schools every two years yeah. or, or, or whatever. Sometimes you're living abroad and you've got to fit in in a foreign country. Yeah. It, it might be, um, well, I mean, it's recognized now that that really has a, a traumatic effect on, it can have a traumatic yeah. effect on children. Some of the veterans charities are now, you know, aiming their focus at that sort of sector of the, the, the veterans family, uh, the service family. Um, I actually, actually, uh, again, I embrace it because what it did for me is it it made me kind of have to, because I think all of us have a a, a kind of shyness, but it it kind of made me, you know, like tears of a clown where the guy's crying inside, but he's, you know, he's acting up. And it's like, although I was kind of shy, I had to forget that. And I had to go into a room and I had to, you know, into a new school. I had to kind of make that difference quickly so that I kind of grew friends quickly. And it, it taught me to be able to do this stuff. So when I'm in public now, like public speaking, anything like that, I love it. I absolutely, like, I embrace it. And I, I think that that's come from the learnings of moving schools and going into new schools and having to get new friends. And I, I like I said, I, I think it's great. So what... Um which places did you live? So we lived in Germany, Singapore, Cyprus, Ireland, plenty around the UK. Um, so yeah, quite a few places. But do you know what people ask me about it? They're like, oh, and because I was only young as well, I don't remember everything about the places. I, I can remember a little bit of like Singapore and Germany. But um, I, in fact, to be honest with you, I always, I always even forget the kind of, towns or cities that we're in, I have to ring my mum every night, where, where were we? <laughs> and I never remember. So um, I never kind of remember the place. I remember like, it's just an army base. You know, you, you kind of married quarters on an army base and just used to remember like, who was the scariest um, kind of officer around there with the, his eyes not showing and his, his peaked cap <laughs> and all, all the brats used to run off. So, <laughs> I remember like Germany being such a clean country I remember Singapore being like, I, I kind of love that whole thing with Singapore. And I think that's that's why I took to Thai boxing so much because that's where I kind of first encountered it. And then going to Thailand kind of reminds me of uh, a lot of like my youth stuff. So, yeah, it's kind of mad. Yeah, Singapore is an interesting place. Thailand's good value, isn't it? Thailand's a lovely place. I absolutely adore it. It's it's something that you know the whole culture. Um, it's kind of a, a Buddhist faith there, but I mean it's all about looking after people and being nice to each other. And what better way to live? You know, I, I think in the Western culture we we lose that a lot. We're we're too busy in our own lives. Everything's kind of three hundred mile an hour, and, and we lose track of what's actually you know what life is actually about and about being nice to people and you, know, you only go on their roads to realize how much they uh, they kind of chilled out because they're all everywhere and no one gets no one gets mad no one gets out of the car and starts having a punch up here someone drives two mile an hour slower in front of you people are beeping their own it's like and, and i'm chilled now by going to thailand and seeing that culture and just thinking do you know what no one can make you mad and if someone pulls out on you then so what you know it's 
the definition of uh, of hatred is drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. While you're mad at them pulling out on you. They drive off and they have their day. They don't even know they've upset you. And you're still burning inside and it ruins your day. It's like, just let it go. It's cool. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's the kind of culture in Thailand that I, I absolutely love. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because to the other side of the coin, they've got you know, the Asian face. Yeah. And you don't want to upset one of those guys. Well, that, that's the thing. Like, be nice to everyone. But if someone does you does you properly wrong, then uh, they're, they're tough, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My nose, if, if anyone's ever wondered why it's not so straight, <laughs> that was fighting a, a Thai doorman. So I'm guessing he was kind of, you know, <laughs> low-level mafia in... Uh, in Pat Pong, was it? Is it in Bangkok, Pat Pong? And uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that was about. It was wasn't. That was actually about face. You know, if you up, if you can, if you upset, certainly in Hong Kong, Thailand, you upset somebody, they can yeah. really hold a grudge, and there's this like red mist anger that just comes up, and they they can almost be sort of out of control i saw a i saw a western i was at the full moon party on copan yang and the locals had set these boxes up in a square to serve as their bar and they were all you know there's say five young thai men um i'm guessing with the sort of right connections um in that in that area to be to be selling beer at the at the biggest kind of party they have over there and and this drunken Westerner thought it'd be funny to hop over into the middle of the bar and start, you know, trying to help them. So they, you see, they didn't, they didn't see it that way. They didn't understand the guy's just a bit drunk and he's Joe. They, they thought he was taking a piss out of them. Right. And the next thing, oof, <laughs> I went over to try and drag, drag the guy out. And my brother who lived in Thailand would just grabbed me and went, no. And it was, well, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, sometimes you got to make your choices, and you? yes, <laughs> maybe maybe live another day. But uh, yeah, gosh. Um, have you travelled? You know, you, have you been a traveller as a, as an adult, or is it your your? No, do you know, do you know what? Since travelling as a kid, I I kind of never traveled for for a lot of a lot of years um i don't know whether it's because i'd kind of had my fill of moving around and then then i kind of rediscovered it again and like once i'd been to thailand that was it i didn't i didn't really want to go anywhere else i had the odd odd trip you know to like spain and mallorca and stuff like that but mm-hmm. like if i can get away i'm i'm going to get away to somewhere that i absolutely love so i've I've like rediscovered the traveling in terms of going out somewhere that's uh, that's incredible. So, but yeah, I, I didn't do it for a long time. Mm. It's it's strange, I think, because like you travel so much as a kid, and then you just go, oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not bothered now. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was about living out my childhood dreams, especially after I, you know, I had sort of three years in the wilderness of addiction. And when I came out of that, I just, I just really wanted to 
experience in life that I could one day sit back and just be like, I've done it now, you know, I've done all the things that I wanted to do. And, but with the traveling, it, it got to the point where it became routine and that was wrong. You know, yeah. it, it, it would, um, you, you start to take these wonderful exotic locations that to some people would be the holiday or the, you know, I will, I was backpacking, but you know, for them, it would be the holiday of their lifetime to be, you know, here in, in maybe Laos or, or Cambodia yeah. or, or the, the jungles of South America and all this sort of thing. And it, it just all started to become like life for me. And, and at that point I thought 80 countries, all seven continents. I'll, I'll, I'm going to take my foot off the gas now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Culminated in a trip to Antarctica. I went on an expedition to the Antarctic Polar Circle. And again, I thought it was just um, routine, Dom. You know, I thought I've seen six continents. Be a bit of a shame to die and not, not have seen all seven. And... <laughs> Again, I, I, you know, signed up for this expedition thinking it was going to be a bit mundane. <sighs> How wrong was I? It was absolutely the best trip I've ever, ever, ever been on. I was part of the, the dive team on the ship. And uh, so we were scuba diving on icebergs and with leopard seals and stuff. And we sadly lost a diver on our, a uh, diver died on our first dive which was just a huge shock for the whole um, expedition. But, you know, notwithstanding that, the, the trip was just so phenomenal um, in, it, in itself. But, uh, yes, Antarctica, folks, get your snowshoes on. <laughs> I'll be wearing the maps behind you then. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've got one there and I've got one there, which is why I'm, I'm, I'm always looking up. I, I, I just... Yeah, I love the planet, Dom, you know, I love this life. I love the universe. Um, it's just so, I just love to see the beauty in it all, you know, because it, it's yeah. a real leveler for when the challenges come along that you can just go, well, I'm just, you know, I, uh, that either makes sense to people or it, or it doesn't, but yeah. I get it. Can we talk about Hills Hillsborough and your your fateful ticket was it, or, or stumbling over my words here because I don't yeah. wanna, don't want to offend anybody but yeah so um, Hillsborough I, I was I was a Liverpool supporter from a, a very young child um, and. My brother was an Everton supporter, so I had a good childhood, you know, <laughs> 70s and 80s, Liverpool and Everton were really good teams. Um, that kind of taught me to fight. <laughs> I had an older brother of three years, so uh, kind of learned a bit there. But, um, I, I'd been to, I'd, I used to go 15 years old, you know, jump on a train. Mum never, you know... It wasn't a kind of thing then. Just jump on a train, go to Liverpool on my own, queue outside the ground from 11 o'clock, turnstiles opened at one, and then you go inside and you've got two hours before three o'clock kickoff. And it, 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 like, if you ask me to wait four minutes for something now, 
nah. But I, I used to wait four hours outside the ground and not, not like it was, it was fine. I don't understand it now. But so yeah, I'd been going quite a lot. I'd been to the, um, the semi-final the year before 1988, which was again Liverpool, Nottingham Forest. And 1989 comes along in the January. I'd been to watch Liverpool versus Sheffield Wednesday there. It was a 3-3 draw. I think we were behind. I think we pulled two goals back. I think Steve Nichols on the score. Something crazy like that. And I stood at the, the um, turnstile, the only one that kind of broke away. <laughs> um, so that's where I would have gone. So I always got to the ground early. I, I would have stood at that turnstile. 1989 comes along, I, I get a ticket, but I become ill. So I sell my ticket, and Hillsborough obviously plays out as it did. I mean, my mum didn't even know that I hadn't gone, and she was working at Doncaster Racecourse at the time, and she, she said that she went into like the bar area, and the, the TVs were on, and she's like, what's happening? And they told her, and she has to use the phone. There was no mobile phones then, so... She rang the house phone and, and I kind of answered and um, she like broke down and she's like, oh my, my God, you're, you're safe, you know. She thought I was there. And Dom, could you, could you just give a quick overview of what happened for our American brothers and sisters? Okay, so it's the worst football disaster that's happened in this country. It was the 15th of April, 1989. 96 supporters lost their lives at an FA Cup semi-final. Um, um, it was a it was a, it was a crush, wasn't it? Yeah. So the main people that that kind of suffered were those that, that had got to the ground early, and then the, the there's also I don't want to go into like the, the kind of the, there was a massive political thing. You know, it was a big cover up. It's been proven now that it's a cover up. It's not, that's not me just giving an opinion. You know, um, if, if people don't like to hear that, then what does uh, Shapiro say? Facts don't care about feelings, you know. The, the facts are that the police messed up that day. Um, and 30 years, you know, people had to fight for, for truth and justice. And, and that's, the, that's the thing that's kind of made me who I am as well is because I've, I've kind of been part of the Hillsborough Family Support Group. I, I've always been quite vocal on, on getting truth and justice. I, I used... I've always attended the ground every year. I've gone to Hillsborough first, put some flowers down, and then gone to Anfield for the kind of um, service within within Anfield. And it's take it's taken those families. I, I don't know how they did it. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how they did it. How they fought for that truth and justice when they'd lost their their loved ones, you know. And, and some of them were young young people, and the way that they were treated was just disgraceful. That the police basically took control of the body, said they don't belong to you anymore, they belong to the coroner, and, and they, they did a massive cover-up. They all got rid of their notes in their notebooks. Mm. And I, I really feel for the rank-and-file police officers that were on duty that day because they were just following orders, they were doing as they'd done, and they were trying to save lives. And the hierarchy, you know, they, they knew they'd done wrong and they tried to cover it up, and that's been a... A key thing of it and and it's only just now that, that the truth is out and the justice is out and it, it's been a long hard fight and those families those families should hold their heads high because they they did it respectfully i i don't know that i don't 
I I was, you know, from my standing point, I was I was annoyed. I was angry. So as a young man, seeing that, you know, I wasn't quite eighteen, um, being brought up to see that governments cover things up. It was it was harsh. It was a, a tough lesson, but it it made me who I am, and and I have to I have to be grateful that I wasn't there, um, and I have to I have to kind of use my use my life now for good and and respect the fact that I am here, and and there's people that aren't. So you know that that's kind of made me take decisions, even you know risky decisions. My my kind of look at risk in terms of money and things like that. They, like my financial advisor did a risk analysis on me and they talk about the, the kind of bell effect where most people are within this bell on risk. And I was kind of, he said, it's like the, the, the like lowest score he's ever had in terms of risk. Like, and I just look at it and think, you know what? Money can come and go, but, your life is is so important and it, it can be snatched so easily and 96 people went to a football match and never returned home yeah and we should remember dom shouldn't we that um in that 30-year period where the families didn't get i don't want to say justice because how can the loss of a loved one ever be just you know ending justice but by the time they got the, the truth came out how many of those families had drunk themselves to death or died yeah. of a broken heart? Um, this, you know, the, the, the repercussions of, of it. Yeah. We had the Sun newspaper, didn't we, that, that was, came out with probably the most vile headline. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing in, in, in certainly in, in British history, insinuating... What were they insinuating that the fans were, were urinating on the dead bodies and, and pickpocket, you know, um, stealing their wallets? And yeah, the, the, even to this day, I won't touch the Sun newspaper. Um, I've always had the thing of don't buy the Sun. Uh, it's banned in Liverpool. You, you don't you don't pick up a paper. The Sun newspaper doesn't get sold in shops in Liverpool. It was uh, it was disgraceful what they did disgraceful you know those families were suffering as it was to have that thrown at them and then the, the thing is the a lie told enough or loud enough is is believed you know and like you said about today's current climate that lie then was sent across the world and and for years and years i had to put up with people and i'll tell you something one one day it was at, at hillsborough a Liverpool versus Sheffield Wednesday game. And as I went up the stairs, a steward actually said to me, well, you were murderers. Like, and I, I my reaction was terrible. And it, it was only that I had kind of 10 other, like friends around me who kind of ground, like, don't kick off. That's what they want you to do. But, but he just listened to that lie. And those families, first of all, had to get rid of that lie before they could tackle the bigger lie, which was, you know, the, the cover-up. Yes. Terrible. I feel quite fortunate, Don, because I studied um, youth and community work, right? That's what my, my degree is in. And as part of that, 
as part of sort of anti-oppressive practice or anti-discriminatory practice as it's now referred to you you learn to see the structure in life and in society yeah how all these mechanisms are in place to keep the people where that you know to keep them yeah. oppressed right yeah and just learning from that disaster you can see how the law and i'm not talking about individual police officers now obviously who are one for the most part wonderful people who who protect us all i'm talking about the structure of the law how it ain't for you it's to keep these um it's to keep the pyramid you know yeah the pyramid that's controlled by sociopaths really yeah uh, and on top of that was another lesson to look at the media you know you say you won't buy the sun i won't buy any newspaper don yeah i don't i don't to be yeah. <laughs> i won't watch a single mainstream media news item unless it's to see what what they're lying to the people you know what lie yeah. are they trying to get the people to believe now yeah um, as a life coach, I'm, I say to my sub, you know, to my, my students, if you see it on the news, it's not true. Yeah. If it comes out of politicians' mouth, it's not true. It's not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not cynical. It's just I'm free, and it's a great yeah. place to be. And I wish everybody, you know, was free because the, the society would be so much better, wouldn't it? The, the best thing I did was, and it, it's a lot of years ago now, when someone said, stop watching the news because they just throw, like, they bombard you with negative information. And it's something like 70,000 negative, like, um, parts of news that come out of us every day, which is crazy to think. So I stopped buying a, pay, a newspaper. I stopped watching mainstream news. Uh, and and it, it's mad how your life is so much nicer. Like you got BBC News at 10. So most people, the last thing they watch at night is BBC News at 10. They get all this negative connotations thrown at them, how the world's terrible and how their life is misery. And then they go to bed and they're supposed to get up the next day and go to work and be, you know, happy and jolly. And But they're not because they've had this... It's negative thrown at them. So, yeah, the best thing I ever did was stop watching ma mainstream media. Yes, exactly. It's, it's fascinating. I probably won't get into one here, but I've been studying where all this comes from, Dom. You know, what, why, why are we made to live in fear all the time? And yeah. what I'm starting to see is it comes down to the money system. Yeah. The money system that we operate under, which is a system of debt, inflation, yeah. interest, basically, basically putting you in a perpetual state of slavery from the, yeah. moment, the moment you get your first wage slip until you, until you, you know, you, you, you die, or maybe if you're lucky enough to pay the mortgage off before you die. <laughs> and this money system goes back thousands of years. You know, yeah. it, it's almost, it, you could think of it as the oldest lie. Yeah. And all this periphery stuff of fear, control, you know, media, etc. It's all to protect 
the people that are behind this money system. Yeah. Um, it's, oh, sorry. Oh, no, well, yeah. it's just money shouldn't be used the way it is. It shouldn't give you power. It was never in, intentioned. Mm -hmm. It used to be like you had cockle shells in the old days. That mm -hmm. was your trading thing, you know, or this guy would add dried hazelnut. As long as it was recognized, it was a, just a way of you exchanging your services and your needs for somebody else's to survive on this beautiful planet, you know, yeah. under what some people might call, you know, God's law, mother nature's law, spirit, what, whatever, whatever yeah. it, that's all it was. And then, um, and then a, a group of, I'm going to say men, obviously I wasn't there thousands of years ago, so I don't know, but they got together and thought, well, hang on, look, you know, let's take those shells and these little bits of silver that people are using to try and let's put them in our vault and we'll issue bits of paper and put numbers on them. To, yeah. You know, we'll have this ledger. And of course, wasn't, you know, wasn't long before they started changing the ledger to, to lend out more of these bits of paper than the actual stuff they had in the vault then they started yeah. paying people off against each other then it was like well look i'll give you 10 more bits of paper than you've given me cockle shells for but yeah. you got to pay me back 12 bits of right and this is referred to as usury right which is you know uh charging interest on money and this is why when if you people who read the, the scriptures will know the story of Jesus when he threw the money lenders out of the temple. In our culture, that's put across as he was angry. They were trading in God's house. No, nah, not at all. It's because Jesus realized usury is, is a sin under, under God, right? Or, um, under, uh, under human law, let's call it. It's probably a better and that if we allowed it to continue, it will lead to the enslavement of the whole of mankind. And this is why we're, we're in this state that we're in now, um, yeah. where it's almost coming to a sort of end game. Um, and all of this deflection and distraction and infighting and these lives matter and maybe these do and they don't and... You know, all, all of, it's just all a distraction from the fact fundamentally the system of, uh, you know, the whole system that our society is based on is one of evil, controlled yeah. by evil men. And they even have their own, you know, societies and, you know, the, the, and, and, and people they worship. And the, the names of this would be totally foreign to you you know, to, 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 to yeah. your, your common person, let's say, would be like, huh, what? Um, yeah, when, I, when I talk to people that, that kind of don't, you know, they're not into any of this, I, I'll just say to them, well, if debt controls people, why do you think they never teach financial studies in school? Why do you think they never show people how to handle money and get a mortgage and not actually get in debt? Why do you think they do that? And they're like, well, I don't know. Like, but you'd think they should, wouldn't you? And most people would say, yeah, they should teach financials in schools. But they don't because they don't want you to know that stuff. They want you to get out of school and get a car on HP and get a mortgage. And once you're in debt, you, you can't really do much about it. 
Mm. And it, it's just a simple thing that most people would say, let's teach financials in school. And then you say, well, why don't they do that? And it's, it's easy to see why. Yeah. We're also caught up, Dom, aren't we? You know, we're caught, caught up in this career. Let's be honest, a lot of jobs, are, it's not just that they're mundane. It's just they don't really, for the global good, achieve much. You know, sat behind a, operating a fax machine and this and that, just to churn out this and, and just repeat this, this, this cycle. When, as funny enough, the current climate is showing actually don't need to do that. You can just sit at home and do nothing and the world keeps turning. Right? <laughs> I'm, not saying it's, I'm not saying there's not, you know, massive downsides to what's happening in a minute, but I'm just saying that they keep you in that constant state of, busyness not really not really enlightening yourselves because you don't learn you haven't got time to learn you come home you're tired get your tea on put some soap opera on for an hour or, or two or watch a bit of youtube and go again the next day isn't it there's no time to stop and assess the situation and go i i heard this as a uh, college lecturer who said that he always said to his students coming up to the end of their like time with him he'd say if money was no object what would you do and most of them say oh, i'd be a writer or i'd be an artist i'd be a, a painter or be a playwright but that don't earn money so i'm not going to do that so what they end up doing is they go to a job that they hate so that they can afford to pay for the car that drives them to the job that they hate, that parks in the car park all day while they're at work, to come home to a house that they pay a mortgage on so they can sleep in, to get up the next day and be refreshed, to go to a job that they hate. And that's crazy. You know, and it, it, if, you, if you do what you love, eventually get that good at it, someone will pay you well for it. You know, and, and I've seen that firsthand. A good friend of mine, we started a, an MMA gym back in 2005 when it was kind of new to the UK. And I was kind of looking at different ways to make this gym work. And, and he was like, I just want to, I just want to earn money in the fight game. And I'm like, that's a tough, that's a tough game, man. He's like, yeah, yeah. And I saw him struggle and I saw him, his parents like um, help him out and, you know, the support network around him. But eventually, he made it to the UFC and that was his dream. And he, he made it there and he had two fights in the UFC. And I'm like, do you know what? If you do what you love and get that good at it, that someone will pay you really well for it. And then you don't have to do to do these things. And, and exactly as you said, Chris, this current climate, no one was saying, oh, where's all bankers? Like everyone was saying, oh, look at this art work that we're doing. Look at this, this PE teacher, you know, it was, the world didn't need these people. Mm. and that's the only like you said probably one of the only good things that came out of it the rest is just nonsense but you know we at least expose ourselves that health is wealth yeah i just if you don't mind on i just um finish off that bit about the money supply because there's a bit i left yeah. out and yeah. i think um not not that i wish to talk over your story but i think there's so much here to be learned in this current climate and and I have one major concern in my life, and that's the future of the children. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's really important, really important that I do the right thing. But going back to these mo the, the money lenders, um, Babylonian money 
mafia as you could because this goes right back to the days of ba babylon um is what the, what they did is they realized if they house themselves in say palaces and castles and, and churches and this kind of thing it it gave them a legitimacy because the public attached so much importance to these yeah you know, if you're operating out of a church, how, how can you be a bad person? You must be something to do with, with God, right? You're, you're the messenger of God and you, you do this money, money. So people just would, you know, it, it, it was, it was a protection for them. Right. And then by, by sort of proxy of this, they started to corrupt the officials in these establishments. So whereas in, whereas you once had a King, and his job was to look after his public, you know, to look after his, his, his community. And that was the honor. That was where the honor lay was in doing the right thing under, again, I, you know, I'm just going to use the term God, but un, 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 under natural law was doing the right thing. But these very clever money magicians started to sell them on, on wealth that their value didn't lay in helping the people it lay in how much capital they could accumulate so this then became a kind of dependent relationship that the 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 uh, re religious leaders the the kings the you know the politicians of the time all became um obsessed almost or or, or, or maybe indoctrinated with that their intrinsic value lay in how much they were worth rather than the service that they could give. And then of course, these money magicians, they, they fished them in, they got them. They're just mm -hmm. controlling them now like puppets, right? Um, and it's so, the reason I say this is it's so interesting to see how this has come down through thousands of years to what we have now, because people are going, the government are making some really weird decisions. They said this yesterday. <laughs> now they're saying this today. And then we've got, you know, this doctor who's saying that suddenly we all need to have this, uh, you know, certain thing that we've never had. Well, when you understand why, who all these people are controlled by, then you start to see why we don't live under natural law anymore. We live oh. in... We live in a big crime and it's yeah. time it's got to change. And unfortunately, many people are waking up to this, um, you know, to this, to this knowledge and this sin that's been conducted on all of us. And as I say, we'll be, you know, put on to our children if we don't all start to, um, you know, take an interest in life. You only get yeah. one, you only get one of them. It's, it's, it's worth mastering it. <laughs> that right. Yes. I believe you know my friend Alex Reed. Yeah. Alex came to uh, came to our fifth show, um, Cage Steel Five. Um, yeah, interesting guy, Alex. Um, I think um, <laughs> we talked about mainstream media and lies. I think Alex, Alex has probably been. Uh, personally susceptible to that bro. He's, he's been horrendous treatment in the uh in the mainstream media he's been through the bloody 
celebrity washing machine, isn't he? Bloody hell. Yeah. Tum- and the tumble dryer, and then he's been been ironed on top. And he's actually all right, you know, because loads of people say, oh, what's he like? And I'm like, he's actually a good guy. He's actually found, you know, and it's uh, it's kind of, like he said to me, oh, you know, I, I had two women that were like massive on social media. He said, and I'm a fighter. I go into a gym for three, four hours. I come out, once they've told that lie to their million people on Twitter, I'm done. <laughs> like, he, he's a funny guy as well, isn't he? So, yeah. I think the last time I saw him, he was laid, uh, laid on a settee backstage, just had a fight in the proxy, is it called in London? <clears throat> um, Troxy, sorry, the Troxy. He'd uh, split his lip here and he was laid on the settee just having stitches in his lip. So, yeah, <laughs> interesting guy. Yeah, he's a lovely man. Hello, Alex. He's, I, I find him really therapeutic, the way he's so gentle and the way he speaks mm-hmm. softly and, and nothing like, I, I mean, I obviously don't buy Hello Magazine or whatever it is, but <laughs> I do remember if you went into a shop, there'd always be this big guy who looked like he was in the Italian mafia or something, <laughs> right? And and uh you know when you get get to know him it's um it's a it's a, a nice surprise shall we say yeah it is yeah it's dom it's a it's a brave old thing to go into a cage isn't it you know yeah. um well I say that but like when i talk to people about this it, it's like fighting's easy it's the training that's hard if you get it right. So if you make, you know, what's, what's that saying? If you, uh, the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in battle or something. Train, like, like, like train, train hard and fight easy, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So once you kind of, if you've been through those, those scenarios and those situations, then it does get easier. And as I say to people, the, the first thing that I try to do with people at training is getting them into like an interclub. So once they get into an interclub, yes, they'll have the nerves on the day, but they realise that it's in a massively controlled environment. They're wearing shin pads and things like that. And it's, it's you know, one, one and a half minute rounds, three of. And it's not designed to get a winner. It's designed to get both people to, to have a draw, no judges, and just give them that experience. And once they've done that, they're like, Oh, that was actually all right. And then they'll do a second one and think, oh, this is ace. And then they kind of want to do a fight. And the first fight, it'll be like crazy. You know, you don't hear your cornermen and stuff like that. But then the second fight, you kind of chilled. You, you kind of get through it a bit more. But um, I, think it's, I think it's more intimidating looking from the outside in. And people look at the sport. We, we've had to do a massive job on kind of um, diluting the kind of how the perceptions of the sport. So everybody, when it first came out, people in the UK loved to talk about cage fighting and they put like blood on the posters and and it was like they wanted to scare the, the little old lady. You know, it was the shock factor. A lot of those people now have gone to bare knuckle boxing. So that's more of the shock factor because... We're, we've there's people like myself there's a lot of other promoters that talk about mixed martial arts not cage fighting don't get me wrong sometimes we have to say i i promote cage fighting or 
I kind of say, I promote mixed martial arts. And if they kind of blank look, it's like, you know, cage fighting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they understand that it's, it's now about martial arts and these guys are athletes. And it's come more into the forefront now. You know, the UFC have, have put it in people's living room. Conor McGregor made a massive difference to the sport. Mm. Um, so it, it's kind of looked on it differently. The perceptions are a little bit different. We've had to kind of water it down just because, you know, we, we've got a project now where we're going into schools to teach a, a martial art. We're not doing MMA. We're doing like a, a hybrid kickboxing. But we're putting instructors into schools for, for free because martial arts has, has literally given me an umbrella unbelievable life the respect and discipline that it puts in your life is incredible so it, it's kind of like giving back now so we want to put those those people in schools when you get kind of areas of deprivation you come across kids that probably need it more than ever but their parents don't have the money to be able to send them to a club so for us to be able to put them in the schools they'll get a, a kind of sampling of martial arts and hopefully, you know, the respect, discipline, tackling obesity, diabetes, bullying. You know, the figures, when you look at them, are, are terrible. One in five bullied. And it's something like 46 children are excluded from school every single day in the UK, in England, I think, not just the UK. And, and they're crazy figures. And it's like, well, you know, maybe martial arts can, can help with that. And if we, if we send people in and we give back, and, and they always say, well, I think I think Winston Churchill said it actually. Um, you make a you make a living by what you get, and you make a life by what you give. And it, it's for us to give back and make people understand. So we had to kind of dilute dilute the cage fighting, the perception, because to be able to go into schools, you don't want to go into schools talking about cage fighting because people are like, what? Parents will be up in arms and everything. And when they realise it's it's a martial art that we've kind of taken in, then it's, it's a lot better. Mm. It's, it's an interesting point you make because MMA is very appealing to, well, let, I mean, young men and, and women, but predominantly um, young, young men. We've got a lot of obviously young men who don't who lack a significant male role male role model in their lives, or they come from a they're coming from a disenfranchised or abusive background, and you've got these guys that that they must look up to like they're you know they're they they wish that was their dad you know. Mm. How do you feel then about this? trash talking which which we know it's to promote the match to promote the fight we we, we know we, you know we're old enough to know it's all about putting the viewing figures on satellite tv up or, 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 or whatever but i'm not going to say any names but some of the stuff that comes out their mouths if you don't understand that it's all a bit of gameplay yeah it really sounds to could sound to a young person like that. It's fine to talk to people like that to insult, you know, their dead parents or whatever. Yeah. So, so for me, like we've seen this for years and years in boxing, and the part that I love about martial arts is is that there's so much respect, and that it was never ever part of the game. Like I'm a promoter, so someone like Eddie Earn sees two of his guys like 
Fiore and AJ kicking off with each other. Eddie and he's rubbing his hands because he's thinking about the money. I, I'm never like that. And I, I always say, the fight, you know, you don't have to talk this fight up. It's a great fight. You don't have to kind of call each other names and things like that. For me, I, I'd rather not. And I'd, I'd rather earn less money and have the respect still in the world than have all that show and, and just nonsense, really. Because, like, like you said that, I think I know who you're referring to. And for me, it kind of crossed the line. Once you being disrespectful to someone's family and, and, and religion and anything like that, I, I just think that there's no need for that. And, you know, the famous thing was um, there was a fight and the, the, the other guy that it, he'd been slating had the upper hand and he said to him, it's only business. He's like, yeah, he, he's just doing that to make money. And, and you know, I, I've always said, it's not a business if it doesn't make money, but it's a poor business if it only makes money. And if that's all the end game is to talk, get these people to talk up and, and really stir the pot to make them have this kind of aggression, then that's, that's poor to me. I'd rather have the respect still in the sport. And, that, and like I said, that's what I love about MMA. And, and Ty, you know, these guys literally tear each other up and then they're the best of mates, you know, you shake hands with each other and it's, it's incredible. And I, I, prefer, I prefer it to stay like that. Mm. Yeah, we're in a similar, uh, a similar boat, except I don't get punched. Well, I probably I will start getting, <laughs> getting punched by some people, I'm sure. But it's the same with the podcast, you know. It, it, there is a very easy option to take by just going down the road of certain subjects and your, your viewing figures just go through the roof. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it when I've just touched on those areas, what the, and, and obviously viewing figures equals um, pound notes, you know, in your yeah. Babylonian money magician's bank account. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that thing, isn't it, where you have to live with yourself and look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day because if you can't, you're not free. You know, no. you're not free. You're a, you're 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 a slave to either your ego or your or you're using people. Um, yeah, it gets quite difficult for me, Don, because of a lot of the military people I chat to. And obviously now that I'm old enough and ugly enough to know who, who controls the military, which is the same people, you know, the same system that has gone back thousands yeah. of years. I, I, I want to be really honest with young people and let them know war is hell. Hell yeah. hell's just a word. It, it doesn't, it doesn't describe the horror yeah. that that's attached to it. And, and what a lot of people not not just the, the 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 soldiers but also the the family and the communities and the the economies and all this stuff and and the, and just the ptsd stories that are coming out now are horrific hor hor horrific but so yeah i i i, I can empathize with 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 what you've said you've got to You've just got to do the right thing at the end of the day, haven't you? As, as much as you can in this weird system that does put pressure on you to, you know, be somebody you're not. 
Yeah, no, it's like you said, be yourself, everyone else is taken. Mm. Be true to you and that's that's the best thing you can be. And and I think um I think a lot of these people, they're not being true. They're they they kind of acting and trying to make money out of it. And I just think, well don't get me wrong, it's a tough sport and I understand that getting punched in the face if you don't talk rubbish, you get punched in the face and you earn this amount. And you talk rubbish, you get punched in the face, you earn this amount. That's kind of appealing. Mm. <laughs> I'll just talk rubbish because I'm getting punched anyway. So. But for me, it's, I, I just prefer the respect. Yes, yes, exactly. Something I'd really like to ask you about is um, it's this thing about whether it's safer to have the lightweight glove or even a bare knuckle than it is to have the boxing glove with all the cushioning, which if I, and you'll, you feel free to correct me here, but which means that people are having to, because they've got this false sense of protection on their hand or well, it's not false sense, it's protection. They can hit so much harder than you could if, if you had a bare fist and this relates to the the punch drunkness and the and the, the brain injuries that fighters can experience. Can you can you tell us about that? Well, the only the only thing I can sort of go off is is kind of the medical stuff. So if you look at boxers and you know the the kind of harrowing deaths in boxing and um, then like you say long term combat injuries like like punch drunk, um, then they come from continual hits of a padded glove, which don't actually knock you out. So they hit hard, but they don't knock people out. So there's this kind of less, it's more of a kind of longer term. So they'll, they'll go 12 rounds and for 12 rounds, they've continually be punched in the, in the head, which is obviously damaging to the brain cells. Whereas the smaller gloves, it's more of a, an impact thing, so boom, they, they kind of not with it and the fight ends. And that to me, it's a kind of strange thing for people because they, they think that having less a glove on would be more dangerous when actually having the glove on appears medically to be, to be the worst one. Um, like I say, that the less you've got on your knuckles, you can kind of break your knuckles, I think that's why. Bare knuckle boxing is, is such a, a mad thing because the, the people are breaking their knuckles, they're breaking their cheekbones, their eye sockets. <clears throat> so you've got something there that has a, a kind of a short-term and a long-term effect because broken eye sockets and things, you don't really get to fight again and they're plated up and things like that. So when you look at MMA, we kind of sit in the middle. We kind of sit with a bit of protection on there, but not enough to have the kind of, long-term acute injuries you know so um that's kind of where i'd sit and if people talk to me about the pros and cons of bare knuckle boxing mma and then boxing then you know we, we kind of sit in a, a nice little zone really is that touch wood there's people that don't get don't get as as bad injuries yeah has, has, has there been any tragic accidents do you know what um i only know of i only know of deaths from 
like when people have done weight cuts because it's one of the things that that went about for years people cutting weight is such a crazy thing in mma um people cutting from ridiculous weights they were like 98 kilogram cutting to 77 kilogram and it, it it's mad i mean in my last fight so you're like 47 years old 46 47 and you're cutting 12 kilograms off yourself you know from 92 to 80 kilogram you're just thinking what am i doing now luckily i did it in a re- i had a really good um nutritionist and a, a good snc coach who we we kind of worked on it a lot with what i knew and what he knew and we did it over like 16 weeks i didn't have to sauna i didn't have to jump in the bath with salts in you know i i kind of did it in a diet way and it, it works but some of these guys are you know they're in the sauna the, the dehydration they push their bodies to is is mad um i think that's the that's the one thing that does sit. I think, God, oh, you know what? I, I don't kind of like that. So as an organization, we did something different to, to even like the UFC. So the UFC, just taking a couple of instances, the UFC will have um, 70 kilo, 77 kilo, 84 and 93. So if you're, if you're kind of around 90, 98, and you think, oh, I'll cut to 93, you, your next one down is 84. People struggle to go from 93 to 84. So they're literally destroying their bodies to get to 84. So what we did as an organization is we went, right, we're going to have a 70, a 74, a 77, an 80, an 84, an 88, and a 93. So the the kind of cuts that people have to go through are, they're a lot less, weighings are a lot easier, people are not as kind of dehydrated and struggling. Do you know what? made the fights better because we've got we've got people who so we've got one young lad who's he's an amateur guy 93 kilogram he came in um his opponent had said that he got got a bit of weight on and i think when he celebrated he, he kind of did this to the, the fans but so he was a beast at 93 light heavyweight instead of having to cut to 84 he he fought at 88 and he what a great match because he like only had to cut five kilo out and he was still a beast, you know, and it was, it made for the fights better. So when you talk about gloves and things, I think we're in a great situation. I think we've just got to learn a little bit in terms of uh, weight cuts because that's a, that's a, a kind of dangerous area for me. Dehydrating your body so much is, is man. And then fighting the next day, that, that could be where the sport kind of has a bit of a fall down. Yeah, definitely. And you did I hear you're quite big on social media? Is is that is that? Yeah, we we are as an organisation. We're massive. We do like 1.1 million reach per month on uh, on Facebook. Um, we're kind of building. Well, we, our Instagram's quite good, and you know our, our other social media is like really good. We're kind of building our YouTube channel a little bit. We didn't really push that enough. We we concentrated on on our Facebook, which is massive. Um, and I, I kind of do all right as well on social media. So, yeah. And can you tell us a bit more about the TV? Um, yeah. Cage Steel TV. Yeah. So uh, this is something that two years ago we did a pilot episode. It's something that I've always wanted to do. So it was about giving, giving the kind of public, not just because all we did for years is interview fighters. 
and then put on shows. And there's so much more to, to what happens. And there's so much knowledge that we've got, like myself. <clears throat> it's like diet, you know, that cutting weight thing. So many people want to lose weight. Well, if they can use the same concepts as I used to, to cut the 12 kilo without having to fight, then, then that's cool. So I wanted to share, share knowledge. You know, Bruce Lee always said, pass on your learnings and your knowledge and you become immortal. So I wanted to do that. I wanted to share our knowledge. Two years ago, we made this pilot episode and we've just been way, way too busy to actually follow it up. So like I said, I describe myself as an, an annoyingly positive person. So COVID hit, I've got two industries. I, I own a nightclub in Doncaster as well. So for five months, both my businesses have literally been shut down. We have not been allowed to open. Um, and I look at all that restaurants being supported. I think, wow, this is, this is mad. So what we did is I kind of looked at it as a, right, okay, this is an opportunity for us to, to do the cage steel TV things that we've always kind of wanted to do. So we've kind of done that as a, a a Patreon service so that we can then like build the funds to put into the, the Cage Steel Martial Arts. So we worked on Cage Steel TV and Cage Steel Martial Arts, which is where we're going to put coaches into schools for free. So we looked at it, I looked at it in a different way, which is like, this is an opportunity. Our businesses are on stop. Someone's pressed pause button. Let's do these kind of projects that we've always wanted to do. And, and get them out there, you know, and, and see where we are. And, and those things will run parallel to our shows. You know, shows are something that I absolutely love doing. So I didn't want something that kind of stops doing what we're doing. But at the minute, we obviously can't do a show. So <laughs> we may as well do Cage Steel TV. Yeah, so good, good luck with it all. Thank you. Yeah, if you need like a presenter, you, you know where to <laughs> <laughs> Um, Dom, can we talk about Ben? Ben was your friend that was badly injured. Yeah, so Ben Parkinson, um, Britain's most wounded surviving soldier, um, was in a, a Land Rover when it hit a, hit a mine and it, it blew up, lost both his legs, fractures of his arms, his fingers, his uh, multiple fractures of his brain his back and he was literally sent home to die you know I, I know Ben's family and you know I know the whole story that kind of trauma that they went through they, they just had a, an army um, officer knock on the door and say you know Ben's been injured I don't know how bad it is yet but it doesn't seem good and he, he said he'd come back when he got more information he, and he kind of came back and said look we're, we're flying him home but we don't think he'll make the journey. And they, they sent him home to die. And the guy, the guy is the most inspiring man you could ever, ever wish to meet. You know, he is just, the way that he kind of gets on with life is just incredible. If, if ever you, like sometimes you're feeling, you know, down or you're not quite yourself. And Ben, Ben will message me or something like that. And I just think, oh, what am I, what am I thinking here? Like, I'm, I'm worried about stupid stuff. This guy gets on with his life, and he's done some amazing things. He was awarded an MBE. Um, he, he carried the torch at the 2012 um, Olympics. And if anyone wants to look at that, he, that is a, a crazy YouTube um, 
video to watch. Ben Parkinson, 2012, torch carrying. He, he was he was told that he had to do it in his chair and he wanted to do it on his uh, prosthetic limbs. He was told that they weren't allowed any army guys around him. They weren't allowed any colours. They weren't allowed any berets. And Ben gave him the torch back. He said, well, I'm not doing it then. And it, his kind of speech then was, was not as good as it is now. You know, he's had to really work hard on that. But he was like, I'm not doing it. So they went, oh, okay, we'll, we'll let you do it. Like, um, I, think, I think they kind of thought that he'd do it in his wheelchair. And at the time, when the time came, Ben stood up and all the army lads came round, all his, his parachute regiment, all with berries on, banner went up. They couldn't do nothing about it because it, it was on like mainstream TV. There was thousands of people and everyone kind of crowded around. And, it, and, it, and he walked it. They only kind of, um, they only kind of allow like four minutes between each one, you know, to be able to get it round. And I think Ben took like half an hour to be able to do the walk. It's, it is an amazing video to watch. It's so like proper gets you here. But ben is just an inspiration. Like no one trains as hard as Ben. No one. I, I've gone to some gym. I've gone to a lot of gyms around this, this country, you know, with MMA and stuff. Ben is an incredible trainer. Because at the end of the day, you can take his legs, but you can't take the power out of here and out of here. And, and that's the thing. He is a tough, tough guy. I love, I love being with Ben. We just have so much fun. He's an absolute inspiration. How was it for you then, Don, when you heard, heard the, 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 the news? Because I, I know it might sound a, a, a bit of a silly question, but, well, I guess these things affect everybody differently. And I also guess that many of us must sort of envisage what, what, what the hell must that be like? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I I didn't know Ben before his accident, and and this is one of the one of the like crazy things is that Ben to me is like the most inspirational person I, I've ever kind of met in my life, and Ben doesn't even see it. Ben said to me once um, about his, his his bomb blast. He said, "Oh, do you know what? If I hadn't had that bomb blast, I wouldn't have met people like you." And I'm like, Ben, I got to meet you. Like, that's, that's not even a thing. Like, you are, he's so humble, you know what I mean? I, I can't imagine what it was like. I think he had a girlfriend at the time and she was told that he'd been killed. Um, I mean, that's, his family went through hell. You know, they, they, they said to it, they said to the family, he might be able to sit up in his bed one day, but that's, that's the best you can hope for. Do you know what? He's just going to, yeah. John O'Groats to Land's End bicycle riding. I think he has the kind of handle things. And the, he, he, was on a, he was on a BBC documentary called Wilderness Warrior. And he, he gets in a canoe and does, there's a river in Canada, I think it is, about 250 miles. It's, uh, it's so mad. The, the presenter at one bit sits down with Ben and says, right, Ben, you've got a time machine can go back in time to five minutes before that bomb blast. What do you do different? Ben says, <clears throat> nothing. He said, because that could have been one of my friends that got blown up and they could have, they could have had worse than me. They could have been killed. And I, now, I went to the premiere of this thing at, at the, um, the Royal Box at the Doncaster Racecourse. I'm not kidding. 
there were some tough guys in that room, ex-SAS guys, you know, like Rusty Furman and people like that. And, and I think all of us were like this. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> it was like, it was a, a crazy thing to say that, you know, that's the kind of brotherhood that they've got is one of his friends could have been injured or they could have even worse been killed. And Ben wouldn't swap that. It's mad to hear that. Mad. Would Ben come on the podcast, do you think? Um, I think he probably would if if we kind of did it as a, a joint, maybe him and his his dad or or myself. Mm-hmm. Um, just because sometimes sometimes his speech is still a little bit difficult to understand, so you kind of have to ask again or or like those of us that kind of around him a lot, we kind of know what he's what he's saying, but his speech still is a little bit um a little bit off in places. So, like I said, the, the improvements they've made are, are ridiculous, but he's not, you know, he's not 100% there. And it's, yeah. but he, he is a great guy to, he is a great guy to at least have on, even if it's for 10 minutes, you know, just to speak to the guy. He's so funny. He's, he's a good guy. Yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll get around anything. It's, um, it's, um, that's, that's half the, the, that's half the point of, of or half the battle, isn't it? Is just yeah. carry on smashing it. Yeah, that's it. That's that's what his motto has been anyway. So yeah. just keep going. So mm. yeah, I'm sure we can uh, sort something. Yeah, that would be that would be amazing. Dom, um, we were going to talk about Q, weren't we? Because it's <laughs> it's very fascinating really really fascinating and it's also it's something that's very easy to write off if you look at the the i don't want to say the whole word because the uh the computer systems are starting to pick up on that now but i think everyone knows what i mean if i talk if i say the q movement but it, it's the sort of thing that was really easy to write off to sort of a fad or um, a, a, maybe a bit of a cult, This, which, which you know, things can be fads and cults and also... True. You know, <laughs> and also true, yeah. It, it, I mean, I mean that's, that's just the way, li- the way life is. Um, um, but it's also... It's fascinating from the perspective. It has got so many people talking about freedom, yeah, and the and the impingement, if that's the right word, on our on our values and our lives, um, and the implications for the future. It's got people looking at the structural perspective, which is what I I was mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, uh, for someone like myself, I'd say there's an awful lot more structure that's needing to be um, addressed rather yeah. than, you know, this politician here because he's been, you know, abusing children or whatever it might be. And, and the horrendous stuff with, yeah, respect, yeah. To, with respect to the traffic that we, 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 we all, all know about that. But, rem- yeah. but we also I'd urge everyone to remember all of this, these ills and so 
come back to this central evil that I mentioned earlier. It's all offshoots and representative of it. And unless we're willing to consider humanity as a whole, rather than address little pockets of it and think that, hey, I'm, you know, I've done my bit. Yeah. It's all just going to end up in the same shit show all over again for, you know, for children yeah. and future generations. But not notwithstanding that, at least it is getting people to start thinking outside the box. Um, indeed, again, going back to this central evil system, they are very clever. They've done yeah. this for thousands of years. They've been controlling you and me. Well, not so much now, but they yeah. are incredibly, they understand physics, chemistry, human psychology. They understand the trends in the environments, you know, sun patterns. They, they know economics. They, they you know, the, the very, you know, thousands of years, folks, thousands of years of knowledge mm -hmm. they have. To, to So when we look at something like Q, we, we, you know, you still have to keep that little part of you that can step outside and view this situation from a detached perspective. Otherwise, you risk becoming a part of the, the, the bigger problem. Sorry, I just wanted to just to put that out there because I haven't heard anyone else really saying this. People I either tend to go, yeah, it's brilliant or yeah, it's it's a psyop, right? And there's none of this. But what are your thoughts then, Dom? So I'm quite new to, to Q. Um, I always never considered myself as a conspiracy theorist. I, I kind of went, no, no, no. There's 9-11, it, it can't have been an inside job. There would be too many people have to know about it, you know, and I really kind of went along that, that path. And then I started to do some research and started to look at it. So I'm one of these that I don't believe something unless, unless there's proof, unless there's evidence. Um, so as I started to look at this stuff, more and more things came about, the whole Epstein stuff and... I watched Fall Cabal, which I would recommend if anyone's kind of new to, to this stuff, watch Fall Cabal. And it kind of joined a lot of dots for me. And, and now I'm just like, wow. And I'm still a bit kind of reserved and guarded because um, you go out there, if you go out and start saying these things, there are still some people who will call you an absolute nutcase and a tinfoil lapware and conspiracy theorists and uh, an idiot and all this line it's like well you know i'm kind of still still guarded I, I i listen to people i listen to a lot of stuff i'll do do my research and i'll make sure that i research so i know who's telling me this stuff so if i'm going to google it and i'm going to get the answers that they want to give me and it's kind of knowing knowing first of all who's telling you and why they want to tell you that and like I said, I'm kind of, I'm kind of quite, quite new, but I, I consider myself to have taken the, uh, the red pill into it. I've, I've, Mate, I always I'm, get, I was, I'm talking to, you're talking to someone with no memory, so I always get confused. But it's a pill, put it that way. <laughs> like yeah. it's red or blue pill. I, I've taken it now. I'm awake, and it's like, 
the more and more that I discuss with people, there are still some people that are so asleep. And you can see that from, uh, from those, those people. <laughs> so um, the, the way that the, if we, if we take the, the mask situation, you know, look how they've sold it to us. What better way to get the people to police the people? Like, when did, when did Grassin, <laughs> when did Grassin become a, a, something that's okay? Like, live and let live. You know, if someone, if someone doesn't want to wear it, so what? You know, it, it's, it's cool. It's fine. But it's like now, I, I've actually been in shops and being challenged, not by any authority, but by a member of the public saying you should wear a mask. And I'm like, no, no, I shouldn't. And, it, and it's, it, it's just a clever way that, you know, they, they tell you that we're doing it, you have to wear a mask because you've got to think about your grandma or my grandma. And, you know, these people em, don't emotion, give emotion, Emotional leverage as, as, as opposed to the facts. They don't care about mining your grandma. Mining your grandma have paid into the system. Once they start taking a pension, they're a cost. They're a liability. They're no longer an asset. They don't care about them. You know, you talked about the money and how it's set up and things like that. Our, our parents, our grandparents paid into this system. Once they, once they start taking out, they're a liability. They don't care about them. Look, look what they did with the care homes. You know, and it, I could I could get on this subject for ages. And I, I'll go along the real simple facts of it. You know, I kind of still guarded about some of this stuff. I mean, you you listen to like the Pizzagate stuff, and I still have trouble. I still have trouble, kind of comprehending that people would sacrifice, actually murder children. I I, I kind of that one hasn't kind of been proven to me so I'm, I'm still a little bit guarded on it you look at Pete's again you think well it's just so much so much then the, the number of children trafficked and before all this you know you think that there's Ben Needham and uh, Madeline McCann you think they're the only two that's ever gone missing in the world and it's it's ridiculous and to think that we've been deceived all these years you know I read a thing once that said a person would rather keep being deceived than actually learn they've been deceived. And, and that, I think, is a lot of it. Those people that are still fighting this don't want to be told that they've been deceived, that you've been tricked and you've been lied to for all these years. It is difficult to kind of accept. But the quicker we accept it and the quicker we kind of rebel, while we keep being complicit, then they'll keep pushing this. If we all said, no, we're not doing it no more. Well, what we've got to remember is, what, what's the saying? The power of the people is more powerful than the people in power. And we have to remember, we are the power. And we might have to, we might have to grab this power back. So, yeah, Q is so interesting. It is interesting. Again, I, I'm... I advise education, but I, I just also advise caution in the same. Um, yeah. You know, it, it goes back to that thing. I have to look myself in the mirror. I could easily sit here and just tell you President Trump is the greatest thing that's ever happened to this. Right. I wouldn't be being true to myself. I, I'd be I'd be lying. 
just yeah. to make some money on you, you know, get a few views on YouTube and that's not who I am, but I would, yeah, I, I sort of urge caution on myself because I uh, uh, allegedly, um, well, I'll tell you what I heard was that, that Trump was bailed out by the Rothschilds. And I don't necessarily mean like, you know, he's out in the world to do bad stuff on their behalf, yeah. but I just mean that, you know, these, these relationships are cultivated for a reason. Um, and it's like I said, do we ever hear anyone refer to this evil money supply that I'm, that, you know, this, this system that we need to, I, I, I haven't heard, you know, occasionally you hear terms like the Kazarian mafia and, and, and this sort of thing, but not really from within the, the Q movement. Um, and again, it just comes back to what, what I said a moment ago is if you don't address the root cause of a problem, it's just going to manifest itself again. Yeah. Um, and as such going after these traffickers or going after this, this corruption and, 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 I welcome that it that it that it goes on and and but it it's just you know it's like cutting out the rock there and then it's just going to develop you know it, it's it's all interconnected it's all yeah. interconnected I'm, I'm sorry if it, I'm, I'm not making a lot of sense uh, sense to our friends at home but that's because it obviously it's not this is not simple no, it's not. Like, like I said, if it's written in the Bible, that was two thousand. You know, and if if, if if the story of Jesus is to be believed, that's two thousand years ago in itself, and it yeah. didn't start in the Bible. This this monetary system, this this working out how to control other people's brains, hence why they call it money magic. Um, you know how to manifest wealth out of nothing goes back thousands of years it, it, it it's why they're called uh, the Bamba babylonian money magicians right and i've just heard no talk i mean i hope if anyone's listening please you know please correct me or or inform me or or yeah. because i'm here for all of you i love everybody i want the best for everybody um and i certainly want you know for the the, the future future generations i'm not interested in me or my ego i could quite happily die in this chair right in this second i've got no problem with that at all my life's been very challenging at times but that is, doesn't take away from the fact it's been wonderful you know and and i'm 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 you know if it wasn't the fact i've got a little one i'm done here you know that's 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 kind of my feeling but <sighs> Yes, it's, it's, like I say, it's the clues in the word magician. Look at, you know, what this hand, everyone's watching what this hand is doing. Yeah. And now no doubt they're learning a lot by watching this hand, but, you know, what is this one? It's just, it's just my, my, my feelings. And uh, as I say, I don't wish to offend anyone, but um, it's, it's interesting.
you know yeah, it's, a... it, it's interesting and, and like i say it's not to say that i don't hear some things about this q organization which are like wow i mean there's websites you can go to where you can you can get up people's criminal records <clears throat> yeah and I don't know if this is some sort of, again, somebody please enlighten me if you understand, but you type in all your, your celebrities, all, all the ones that are on these lists and they're, that they, they come up. I haven't followed that, that through because I didn't know if this particular website was some sort of scam, whereas if you paid your five bucks mm. a month to get the full record that you, you know, all, all hell's going to break out, out, out loose or it's some big computer virus or something but um interesting at the very least it is churning up a lot of dirt isn't even the right word is it a lot of depravity that we didn't you know we certainly as a children my gosh we didn't you know, we didn't know that's going on. But even us, Don, as adults, we yeah. know that our precious BBC now is staffed by sex offenders. Yeah. Not, not everybody, obviously, but a significant proportion, um, yeah. as well as our parliament. And, and, and it goes on and it goes on. So <sighs> do, you see, do you see anywhere where this is going? this this the, the the world in general i mean who knows like he says it watch this space it's, it it feels like something is happening something quite biblical is is happening um and it, this could be the craziest time that anyone's ever lived you know we, we really don't know everything that's going on it's it is very uh very intriguing mm. yes it is I wish I could say more, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm acutely aware I'm not best qualified to, to talk on the subject to Q. And it's very close to people's hearts, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, let's, let's hope it offer, offers up a, a glimmer of hope for us, for us all. Yeah. We will see. Yes. We'll, I will say follow the natural law though, folks, you know, that's, um i don't know why i just developed this sense that i feel like i know don the way to, the way to be you know yeah you know you you know when you're doing something wrong you, and it's not yeah it's not good for you but uh, that's the beauty of podcasting mate isn't it is you never know where it's going to take you no, that's right. um yes it's like um what are those what are those things where you all jump in a car and you have to go and find clues? <laughs> what are they called? Adventure races or uh, uh, quiz? Can't remember. Um, but yes. Anyway, you never know where you're going to end up. <laughs> Dom, thank you ever so much. No problem. It's been a fascinating, you're a fascinating guy, fascinating conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I yeah, I really feel like I, as a person, I, I've got a, a massive amount out of it. Um, Good. Can I, can I come to one of your shows when, when you get Absolutely. it back on? Absolutely. You, uh, more than welcome. Come, uh, come along with Naz and Sal. Yeah, that, that would be great. That would be great. Yeah.
yeah, and I'll get the chance to meet you in person, which will also be great. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> Stay on the, uh, on the line, Dom. To everybody at home, massive thank you for watching another episode of the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. If you could do the like and subscribe thing, that would be wonderful. Hope you've got something out of this. Much love to you all. Dom's gone sideways. See you next time. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.